Maybe it's the influence of a parent or a grandparent. Maybe it's the influence of a teacher or a spiritual leader like a preacher or Sunday school teacher or, or maybe a coach. Maybe what had a lasting impact on you was a good decision you made one time, all right? Or, you know, sad to say, sometimes those bad decisions can also have some lasting impacts on us. But there are a lot of different things. Maybe a life or death circumstance that we've been through that has impacted our life. Now, the question is, did that person or event or thing change our life? Did it cause us to think about life differently? Did it cause you to get serious or to be extremely focused about something? I bring this up because a lot of times we have those impactful moments and we don't even really recognize until we sit down later and we look at it and we think, hmm, you know what, that really did have a lasting influence on my life. And I think that there is an event in the Bible that really has had more of a powerful impact on our life than we even imagine. And that event is the ascension. It's not often that we think of the ascension as one of the miracles of Jesus, but when we look a little deeper, we discover the deeper impact it should have. Uh, because I believe that the ascension is a very important event in the life of every Christian in the church. The ascension should have a lasting impact on all of us. And while it is the last miracle Jesus performed during his time on earth, it has a lasting significance for those who believe. So let's think about that event today. Last week we saw how Jesus was speaking to his disciples just before the ascension and he told them that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them in a powerful way. They were going to go out and they were going to be his witnesses uh, in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And just after he said this, he began to rise up in the clouds. So we go to Acts chapter 1 verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven." That was Luke's account in the book of Acts. But Luke also wrote an account of the ascension in his gospel in Luke 24, beginning in verse 50. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he, that is Jesus, lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, now he says in that passage, while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now, 
Can you just put yourself in the disciples' shoes or sandals for just a moment, okay? As you think about how, how would you react if you were standing there, you're talking to Jesus. Boy, you're excited that Jesus came back to life and he's been with you and you don't have any idea what's about to happen. But suddenly he gives you this challenge. Hey, you're going to go out. The Holy Spirit's going to come. You're going to go out. You're going to be my witnesses. And all of a sudden, he just starts rising up in the sky. This is one they haven't really seen before. When you think about the miracles of Jesus during his time on earth, again, the ascension may not be on your top of the list. We might think of his birth or we might think of the amazing story of how he was able to calm the stormy sea. We may think of the time that he healed the paralytic or how he gave sight to a blind man. Our thoughts might be drawn to how he raised Lazarus from the dead or maybe even to his own resurrection out of the tomb. But Jesus' ministry was filled with powerful miracles that prove he is, in fact, God. But the ascension was the last miracle of Jesus on earth. Once again, he proved to have power over nature. Even gravity couldn't keep him down. But the ascension is important for several reasons other than the fact that he revealed Gravity had no rain on him. The ascension was important, not only for those disciples who witnessed it, but also for us today. So today I want us to sort of dissect that powerful event and think about its impact on those disciples' lives, but also on our lives today. So let's first of all think about the impact on the disciples when they saw this. What, what, was, what were they learning? How would it impact their life? Well, first of all, I would suggest his ascension marked the end of his ministry on earth. And this is important. Jesus had finished the work he came to do. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, thus becoming the perfect sacrifice for mankind. He prepared his disciples for three and a half years for the next step in God's plan, which was the spreading of the gospel and the building up of his church. Jesus took all the sins of men upon his shoulders on that cross where he died and then he was buried. And then to prove that death had no power over him, he was raised back to life thus giving every believer the hope and the promise of eternal life with him. And so, friends, we fear no death because Jesus is alive again. Amen? So after his resurrection, we learn that Jesus hung around his disciples for another 40 days. And during that time, he was teaching them. He was encouraging them. He was just doing everything he could do to prepare them for this moment. So Jesus had done what he came to do. And now it was time for the Holy Spirit to do what he came to do. He would work through those disciples to build the church. This brings us to the second reason the ascension impacted the disciples. 
You see, they were witnesses of the ascension. Notice in our text it said that this was done before their very eyes. They saw him with their own eyes. Now you may not have thought about this, but it is true. These disciples did not actually see Jesus come out of the tomb. I mean, they witnessed his death on the cross, at least John did. They witnessed his burial, at least some of the women did. All of them witnessed the fact that Jesus was alive after he died on the cross and was buried. I mean, for 40 days they had seen him. So while they did not see him actually come out of the tomb, they did see him on many occasions, and he taught them and worked with them. But think about the prospect. Had Jesus just vanished? If he was there and then all of a sudden... He wasn't there with no explanation. I mean, that would have left them wondering what what happened. Some of them might have thought they were deceived. Uh, They would have had questions. Where where is he? What is he he doing? Why, Why did he abandon us? But instead, Jesus openly, clear as day, ascended. And even before he did that, he gave them instructions about what was about to take place. They didn't have to wonder. They didn't have to question. They knew exactly where he was. And they at least had some idea about what he wanted them to do. He wanted them to be his witnesses. Now, These disciples had witnessed all of Jesus' miracles, and knowing his power, don't you think this final miracle of Jesus, as he's on earth, would have had to be encouraging to them? I think it had to be. They see him ascending, and then they hear, hey, he's coming back again. And so the ascension impacted their life, Finally, because they had a mission to fulfill. The ascension was God's way of sort of putting them out of the classroom and into the world. Jesus prepared them. But at some point, it's time to start putting up, doing what you're told to do. You know, you've learned all this stuff. Now you got to put it into action. As long as Jesus was around I got a feeling they would have just sort of relied upon him to do all this stuff. And we would probably be the same. But he left them with the Holy Spirit so they could fulfill God's plan for them. Yes, when they saw Jesus rising up in the clouds, they were awestruck. I think many of us would have been too. We would have probably been stargazing, eyes wide open, mouths dropped. But the angels were there to shake them out of their shock. I love what the angels said to them in verse 11. Hey, why are you standing around here looking up into the sky? You know, guys, it's time to do what Jesus told you you had to do. He just told them you're going to be witnesses, not just in Jerusalem, but throughout the entire world. Now, that might have been a little hard to grasp. Because when you consider these disciples, they weren't world travelers. 
They weren't wealthy people who could just go anywhere, you know, they wanted to go. Most of them had never been out of this region. Yes, Jesus took them to Samaria, but they hadn't been throughout the Roman Empire. Most of them were pretty uneducated and made their living by fishing. So to think that they would have a global impact, I mean, that, that would be crazy. But they were to go out and make Jesus famous. They were to spread the good news about Jesus. It wasn't going to be easy. They weren't going to convince everybody that they talked to. But all God required was that they be faithful in the process. And that's exactly what they did. And that is why, my friends, we have a church today. Because those first disciples were faithful. And some who heard them believed and gave their lives to Christ. And churches began to build and grow and spread. We are their spiritual descendants. And I want to tell you that the ascension not only impacted them, but it has impacted us as well. When you think about the impact on the church today, first I would suggest to you that the ascension made the Holy Spirit possible. The Holy Spirit came to guide us. See, Jesus had already said, hey, the Holy Spirit won't come in that powerful way until I'm gone. But when he comes, things are going to start happening. We spoke about the Holy Spirit last week and the work of that Spirit and how he's still working on people today, convicting them of sin. But he's also working within the believer because he indwells us. And that's the difference maker, isn't it? He's working within us, but he's working on the non-believer. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, it would be impossible for us to do the mission that Jesus set for us to do. So I want to revisit some of what we said because I wasn't able to spend as much time last week. But looking back in John 16 and verse 8, Jesus said when He, that is the Spirit, comes, He will prove the world wrong in the uh, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So Jesus laid out the work of the Spirit and what it has to do with the mission that those disciples were going to have. And I would suggest even we have today. So let's think about that. The Spirit um, would prove the world wrong in regards to sin. Now, if we just think about what that means, the Spirit convicts the sinner of sin. The Spirit makes us aware of sin. Unless we become aware of our sin, we have no idea that we need Jesus at all. And that's why a lot of people don't even realize they need Jesus today because they're being told there's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as right and wrong. This is the common cultural teaching today. What was once wrong is now right in the eyes of the world. Have you noticed that? Even in my lifetime, I can tell there are things I, I used to be told was wrong, but now we're sort of being told, well, yeah, that's okay. 
You know, sex outside of marriage was once understood to be sexual immorality. People understood it was sin. But now it's sort of glorified. Homosexuality was understood to be sexual immorality, another form of it. But now, a days, it is promoted, it is glorified. Drunkenness is now acceptable to many people. We call it partying. G. Vegas style. Let's go downtown, have a party. And we're proud of it. Lying or cheating was once considered to be character flaws. But now, if it helps you to get ahead and make more money, well, do whatever it takes. Filthy language and coarse joking and cursing was once frowned upon. But now people make excuses. And I hear even Christian people making excuses. Well, I have to talk that way. Society found, finds it morally acceptable for me to speak like this. We have it all over the media, in the movies, in the entertainment industry. So we've rationalized that it's okay. But I want to just ask you a question. Could you imagine Jesus speaking like that? Could you imagine Jesus acting like that? And if you can't imagine Jesus speaking or acting like that, why do you think it's okay for us to do that? If we would just listen to the Spirit of God instead of the Spirit of the world, the Spirit of God will teach us about what sin is. That's an ugly three-letter word to many people in the world today. There's a bunch of preachers that won't even use the word sin in their sermons. But friends, listen to the Spirit. Understand what is right and wrong. Now, that brings us to the other thing Jesus said the Spirit would do. He would prove the world wrong about righteousness in the absence of Jesus. So while Jesus was on earth, He was the epitome of the righteousness of God because Jesus had no sin in Him. He never committed a sin. That, that would be amazing just to be around somebody who never acted selfishly, who never put you down, who never, you know, used your relationship with them for their own devices. That's the way Jesus was. But Jesus is absent. So how in the world can the world see righteousness today? Well, they see it as the Spirit lives in us and produces righteousness from us. And, you know, it makes me realize that, again, what once was right or righteous is now we're told it's wrong in the eyes of the world. For instance, at one time, people would say, well, truth is truth. And people respected the Bible as truth. But now it's become, well, that's your truth and this is my truth. Y'all see what I'm saying? We, we've twisted things. At one time in our country, it was a good thing to have faith. But now it seems that more and more our culture is turning against people of faith 
And it's the people of faith who are considered to be the, the meanies, the bad people who are creating the problems, while the people who don't have faith are setting the standards. Are, are y'all seeing what I'm seeing? At one time, the nuclear family was considered to be the ideal for raising children. The, the father and the mother together. But now it seems like people want to push back on that idea. And, you know, how dare you say that we need to have a father and a mother together? We don't need both of them. At one time, you would never see our kids play in sports on Sunday mornings. But today, it's commonplace. Our culture has changed. We see as a result many children uh, who aren't in church on Sundays because they're playing ball. Now, I want you to hang on with me because you might be offended by what I just said, but hang on with me. In the same light, faith and church attendance are on a fast decline. So I think the Spirit is trying to reach people and lead them, but many people are rejecting that leading. And I think as a church, we have to figure out some different ways of connecting to people. And we can be upset about the way the culture's gone, but this is the culture we're living in. We still have a message to proclaim. Methods can change, but the message should not change. So the Spirit is still at work trying to teach people about righteousness. And He wants you and me, those who are followers of Christ, to be setting that example as the Spirit lives in us and moves in us. Now, is it all about church attendance? Is that what's going to show righteousness? No. Now, don't get me wrong. I think church attendance is important. We need to come together. We need to worship together. But I'm going to tell you, even more than that, it's loving people. Even more than that, it's being out there and being a person that is approachable, somebody that people will be drawn to. Before it's getting people to read the Bible, it may be that we have to live out the Bible in front of them. Righteousness can draw people to Christ. Treating people the right way, being kind, being gentle, being humble and forgiving, being a person of peace. And I tell you, we live in a a world and a society and a culture today where many Christians are being drawn into these political battles on Facebook and social media where we seem anything but kind and gentle and humble and forgiving. But the Spirit is moving in us to reveal righteousness. And then the last thing Jesus said about the Spirit is that He would prove the world wrong about judgment. You see, anyone outside of Christ is under the control of the prince of the world. And they stand condemned already because he is condemned. Many people today, when they think about being judged, they get offended. But judgment is coming upon all who reject the conviction of their sins. I hear people say in the church, well, don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? I, I, I hear that sometimes from people. And that's interesting because Peter did say in 1 Peter 4, 17, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of Christ? 
Now, don't get me wrong. Understand what I'm saying and what I believe the Scripture is teaching. This is not telling us that we should stand off calling people out and embarrassing them. It's not telling us that we need to be mean-spirited or self-righteous when we talk to people. But it does mean that we should be held accountable by our brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't you think that's true? So the ascension is a reminder of the fact that Jesus left, but he sent his spirit to be here to convict us of sin, to show us how to be righteous, and to be that witness to the world. I think that the ascension is important because it opened the way for the Holy Spirit to come and lead us. But secondly, the ascension reminds us about our mission. We talked about that mission several weeks ago. In Matthew 28, we read, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, just as a quick reminder, if we sort of put this in an outline form, uh, we, we, we know that our mission is this. Go to all the nations. Make disciples as you go. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all of Jesus' commands. Now, I'm here to tell you, this doesn't happen without the work of the Holy Spirit. He is still here to help us as we are doing our part. We have to do things differently, though. We have to, we have to go to people. And I think God knew this. That's why the mission was to go. The mission wasn't to get into a building and sit and wait for the lost to come to you. It was to go out to the lost. And I think the church, me included have sort of gotten into this mindset, well, we'll have church and the lost will come and then, you know, we'll save them from there. But that, you know, especially with COVID, and I've talked to a bunch of preachers and we all sort of believe the same thing. It's never going to be the same. Since COVID, it's never going to be the same. Lost people are not just going to go to church anymore. So we have to get back to going to them. We can't sit back and wait for people to come to us. For the church to be effective in reaching people, we have to leave these walls. That makes what Michael Murphy and 86 Hunger are doing even more important. It makes what Denise and the children's ministry are trying to do with Trunk or Treat this year to be even more important because the idea is we're going to try to take it to the neighborhoods. Now, it's going to be an interesting effort. But we have to think outside of the box. Maybe instead of complaining about ball games on weekends, we need to be present. We need to reach out. We need to help parents who are sort of in that situation. I want to I support and encourage my child, but also want to have that spiritual influence. How can we come alongside and help? We need to go where people are and love on people Love them to Jesus. So as long as there is one lost person on earth, wouldn't you say that we still have a mission to fulfill? 
I would. It isn't over till Jesus comes back. And that's one lesson the ascension teaches us. And like those disciples, haven't we been sort of taught long enough? <laughs> I mean, at some point it would seem that we would take what we've learned and we would put it into action. The angel said, hey, what are you, what are you looking up into the sky for? I wonder if those angels came today, would they say the same thing to us? It seems sometimes like we're just standing around, oh, Lord, I can't wait. I, this world is so hard. I, I, I'm just ready, Lord. Come take me home, Lord. And we're just sitting here waiting on the Lord, and we're not reaching out to people. So, friends, let, let's get determined. Let's be challenged to get to work. Uh, I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. We all need to work together to reach our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers. What are we waiting for? And finally, the ascension makes the second coming possible. And this, this should be very exciting for all of us. After all, it is one of the vital teachings of Scripture that Jesus is coming back. How many of you believe Jesus is coming again? How many of you believe it? If you don't believe it, I, I don't know why you'd even be here today <laughs> because that is central to our being encouraged and excited. What did the angel say? He's going to come back in the same way that he left, in the clouds. This gives us something to look forward to. When Jesus comes back, our work is going to be done. It's not done until that time or until I have my last breath. But when that happens, our work is done. In 1 Corinthians 15, we begin reading in verse 51. Listen, I tell you, a mystery will not all sleep but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Victory at last. Isn't that what we, nobody wants to be a loser, we want to be winners. Victory at last. No more pain, no more disappointment, no more letting others down or them letting us down. No more sickness, no more death, no more politics. Let's give an amen to that. You know, praise God. This mess is going to be behind us. Paul would also write the in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. 
For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, do what with these words? Encourage one another. Now, how could that be encouraging? Because in this world, we want to know that there's something better, right? We want to have something to look forward to. And this is what we live for. We live for the promise that this life is not all there is. If you've ever lost a loved one, somebody that you care deeply about, and they had a relationship with Christ, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You long for the day to be able to see them. But you also are, are well, you, you wouldn't want them to have to come back and leave heaven and that wonderful experience they have now, but you certainly want to be reunited. And that is the hope and the promise we have in Christ. Now, yesterday I went to Bob Molden's funeral. Bob Molden preached in Plymouth for 35 years. Bob Molden came from uh, Virginia and went to uh, Roanoke Bible College, now Matthew, um, preached at several churches, then wound up in Plymouth, served there 35 years, retired from there, and then began filling in, preaching, and doing. he's done revivals, you know, most of his ministry life. And I mean, the guy's had a huge impact on many, 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 many people. Bob Molden was a faithful preacher. He wasn't perfect. He's just like any of us. But he was faithful to his last breath. He believed in this promise. He lived his life proclaiming this promise. He dedicated his life to the preaching of the gospel, to helping people know Jesus so that they could believe in this promise. So even after retiring... He, he didn't retire from serving Jesus. He just retired from working at Plymouth. I don't think we could ever measure the impact he's had on the lives of so many people, whether in Plymouth or surrounding churches or in India, where he was very supportive and raised money for CICM for many years, served on the board of directors for many years. But one thing I can tell you is this. He was faithful to the very end. What will your legacy and your life be? Will you be faithful to the end? And will you spend the time that you have trying to make a difference in the lives of other people so that they can have the hope and promise of eternal life? Here's the thing. All those whom we reach for Christ will be saved. Think about it. They can all hold on to that promise of the resurrection. That's what's at stake. 
And to me, the ascension reminds us of this. Yes, Jesus left, but he's coming back. So let me ask you this question. I'm, I'm going to give you all a heads up because first service, I think I tricked them and they didn't know that I wanted an answer. But I want an answer to this question. Does the ascension impact your life? Yes. I'd say it does. And I'm going to tell you, this scripture has been haunting me all week. You know, dealing with Bob's death and thinking about what this passage says and doing the study behind it. And it, it made me think about something. How many of you had a bicycle when you were growing up? Anybody here have a bicycle growing up? How many of you learned to ride a bicycle with training wheels? Anybody here learned? Did you use training wheels? You didn't have a bicycle? You were... What? You... Your brother had a bicycle and you didn't. That is so unfair. I, I, I just, I, my heart goes out to you. My heart goes out to you. Um, but we use those training wheels to learn, you know. And maybe it was a parent or grandparent or somebody else that helped us. But they would help to steady us. And, you know, we're sort of, our balance wasn't very good. And, you know, but we got to... You know, they might have to give us a little shove to get us going. But finally, we would get going. Now, how many of you remember the first time you rode a bike without the training wheels? Anybody remember that? I couldn't remember mine. How old were you when you rode without the training wheel? I never rode Oh, you learned to ride at 12 years old, and you didn't have... Tr you skipped the training wheels. You, you just jumped right ahead of the class. I, I, well, I'm proud of you, man. That's <laughs> uh, but, but a lot of people do use those training wheels. But at some point, you take them off, right? And at some point, you don't need somebody to give you a little push. At some point, you can do it yourself. You can ride out there. And, you know, as I think about what this lesson means to me, at some point, we got to get rid of those spiritual training wheels. Um, at some point, we got to graduate. At some point, we got to take what we've been learning all of our life and use it to influence those people around us. That's what the angel was saying to the disciples. Stop looking into the sky. It's time to get to work. It's time to do stuff. You know, as I thought about Bob's life, I, I think, you know, that's what he spent his life doing. As, as best he could. And, you know, I think about my life, and, and I know that my years of service as a, a, a pastor of a church are coming to an end. I'm, I'm going to be 61 in November. Uh, I'm not going to put y'all through dealing with me for another 10 years. I, I just wouldn't do that to you. I don't think that would be fair. You need somebody younger and more energetic somebody with some fresh ideas. But I want to spend the rest of my life doing something that really makes a difference. And as I think about my ministry life, I've been in ministry since 1980. 1980. My friend Gary Clark back there, he helped me out. I was a, I was a youth minister at Geneva Park Church of Christ. And Gary, Jordan's dad... Would so, he sort of took me under his wing 
and he helped me out a lot. Gary, I love you, man. You, you made a big difference in my life. But I think about all these years of ministry, and I look at myself, and I think to myself, I've been training people all my life to do this, and sometimes I feel like nobody's listening. Sometimes I feel like nobody's doing it. I keep training, 40 years of training, and who's doing it? Now, that's when I'm feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> I realize there are some people doing it. In fact, I talked to some today after first service. I had seven folks say, hey, Tim, we're with you. We're, we're going we're gonna to spend the rest of our life doing this, doing what we can to influence people. And I talked to Eli Dawson. Now, Eli's a young kid. He's in college. He told me between services, he says, I've got two guys that are atheists that are in my class. He says, I've been meeting them for lunch or meals after school, and I'm trying to have an influence on their life. And we talked about some resources that he could use. But I love that, that Eli, at his age, is thinking, I want to impact somebody's life for Christ. We've got to start thinking outside of the box. We've got to man up. I've got to man up. I've I got to step out. Because I think that most of my life has been spent training the saved and not as much reaching the lost. And I've got to start doing more of the latter. The, lo the lost aren't going to come here and listen to me preach. They're not going to do it. They're not going to listen to a, a, a podcast that I do on social media. So I have to think of things that I can do differently. Jesus is coming back, but I can't sit here and wait till Jesus comes and, you know, just in anticipation of that, wasting time. People are dying going to hell. I believe God wants me to do stuff now. So here's the challenge. Do you agree with me on this? Do, do you believe God wants you to do more or to do something that's going to impact the lives of others? And if you do and you're with me, I want you to do one of several things. One, you could text me. Two, you could email me. Three, you could see me after service. Or when I come down here in just the next couple of minutes, you can come up here and say, Tim, I'm with you. And I had seven people in first services. I'm with you. And we're going we're gonna to try some things and, and just some simple things. For instance, just a prayer walk where we'll walk to our neighborhood and we'll just pray and we'll pray before we even go out. Lord, just if somebody needs you and you can use me to reach them, put me with them. Now, don't you think that a God who could cause his son to ascend up into the heavens, could do that? I believe he can. So, that's the challenge. Are you with me? Are we just going to keep waiting for Jesus to come, or are we going to go out and fulfill this mission? It's time to graduate. Time to move beyond the classroom. Time to take off the training wheels. Time to put up or shut up. Time to man up or woman up, however you want to do it today, right? We need to do this so that more people can anticipate Jesus coming again and have the hope of eternity. Father, we come to you today so thankful for Jesus, so thankful uh, that Jesus did go back to heaven and 
you sent your spirit here to help us fulfill this mission. If Jesus hadn't gone, Father, I think we would all be just waiting around for Jesus to do everything. But he left us with a mission to fulfill, and he left their spirit to dwell in us and move us. Our mission to help those on the outside get on the inside. The ascension is a reminder of that, Father. So I ask you to forgive us for standing around waiting uh, until Jesus comes back. Give us the wisdom and insight we need to help others prepare for his return. And help us to think outside of the box, Lord. May your spirit motivate us and encourage us and open the door for people's hearts to let us in so that Jesus can move into their hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, again, uh, I, I don't know how you will respond to this, but if you need prayer, if, if you're with me, uh, I would invite you to come and stand here with me and say, hey, you know, let's get together. Let's figure something we can do outside of the box that can reach people that I know. Uh, maybe you just need prayer for other things going on. I invite you to come for that as well. So let's stand and let's sing.